Welcome to Me Time, the podcast for women in midlife who've been taking care of everyone else and now say, it's my turn to take care of me. I'm Kim Aceto, health and self-care coach for women in midlife and your host. Thank you for spending your precious me time with me right now. Enjoy the show. Okay, so today I'm here with Mike Harnett. Mike is president of Solaris Fatigue Management. She has over 30 years of experience consulting with various government agencies, including the Canadian Standards Association and NASA, as well as private industry. With a background in human factors and sleep neurobiology, Mike is recognized for her ability to take complex subjects and deliver their content in a simplified and innovative manner for all to understand. An award-winning speaker, she is an internationally sought-after presenter and educator. Mike, thank you for coming on to the Me Time Midlife Podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me. I, I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, well, my partner works at UBC, University of British Columbia, and you were a speaker there. Uh, she didn't go to your to your talk, but one of her colleagues did and came back and sent your information to the entire botany department because it was so good and so relevant. So that's how, and then I, I got forwarded that email and that's how I knew of you. So you must have done a great job at that <laughs> event. Well, you know, it's it's a it's a topic that affects everybody, right? This is nothing um, that that isn't affecting all of society. It's not specific to any job function or anything else. So, we're all we're all challenging ourselves with the amount of sleep that we get. Yes, right. Let me start with the question I ask every guest, as this is the Me Time Midlife Podcast. Um, I'm interested in knowing what you enjoy doing during your me time. Well, you know. Uh, I travel a lot and I'm, I'm always kind of on for people when I'm doing a lot of engagements. So for me, the best me time moment is just when I can sit quietly and, and sometimes that's on an airplane <laughs> with my headphones on or, or in a coffee shop um, with some soft music on. And then I just, I take out my pen, put it to paper and I start writing really, really bad poetry. And oh, interesting. It's <laughs> a reliever for me and I have some fun with it. Yeah. Oh, do you have topics that you like to write about or whatever just kind of uh, comes? You know what? It's whatever I'm looking at in front of me. Uh, I'm, I, I try to make some, some humorous ones. Sometimes if I am dealing with some, some challenges in my life, I make them a little more personal, but uh, right. yeah, there's no topic that, uh, that I don't approach. Oh, that's interesting. That's great. And what do you, what do you get out of that? Uh, poem writing well you know it's uh i think it's just the 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 fact that you're tuning into yourself that you're actually paying attention to yourself you're allowing yourself to feel which mm. so much of, of part of the problem even with sleep is that we don't allow ourselves to feel you know we distract ourselves with so many things throughout the day and and i think it's really important to just kind of ground yourself and that's what makes me feel whole yeah. So I love it. That's great. You're the first person to, to say you write poems and, and uh, do that during <laughs> yeah, your Not time. necessarily good ones. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah. I'm sure also they get better as you, as you keep doing them, but are, are, do you keep them? I, I do. I do. I have a, I have a little, a little booklet that I've, that I've uh, got and uh, shared it with a few friends who always get a kick out of them. Right. That's nice. Oh, great. Okay. So Mike, you know, we're going to talk about sleep, which is a, 
I mean, a big topic for my clients, uh, women in midlife who are, you know, trying to improve their health habits. Um, sleep is one of the four areas that I help my clients with sleep, food, mood, and exercise, since they're all connected. You get a, don't get a good night's sleep. You, you're less likely to make healthy food choices or want to exercise or be in a good mood. And, and it works the other way as well. But I want to ask you first, you know, sleep kind of became, well, sleep is something we all need and we all do. Mm-hmm. Um, but it recently, well, I'll say recently in quotes, um, be- has become a hot topic. And when I think about when sleep started to get the attention of society was when Ariana Huffington, do you remember um, yeah. when she basically was burnt out and then she collapsed, she broke her cheekbone on her uh, laptop and she knew, okay, there's something wrong here. I'm not getting enough sleep. I'm not taking care of myself. And then she kind of started this kind of sleep revolution thing. Was that when people started to pay attention? Well, you know, God bless Ariana Huffington because she, she really <laughs> did uh, get the conversation going. Yeah. Um, we've known, uh, I have to put this into perspective a little bit. 30 years ago, I started a job um, with, uh, with uh, National Rail Line and uh, we took a 100-car freight train and we drove it through a passenger train and we killed 23 people. Mm. And that event was... Um, hugely uh, a result of of fatigue, of people being fatigued when trying to operate. So we knew that sleep and fatigue were issues way back in the day, I mean, even 30 years ago. But what we didn't have was the the science behind it. We didn't have the sleep neurobiology behind it. And it's really only been the last 10 to 15 years that we now do have the evidence and the science that has built up over time that we understand what's actually going on when we sleep. So um, I think now that we do have that science, that we now have people out there that are beginning to, to drive this information forward, and Ariana being one of them, which has been fantastic, um, because it's, it's really about education that we never had in school. It just wasn't available. Yeah, and I almost feel like, you know, as I talk to some professionals, there, there can sometimes be this like pride in how little sleep that they got. Right. Um, and and it shows it's, they think it shows how dedicated they are to their work or, you know, how hardworking they are or things like that. But it's so it's, that's not the case. No, uh, we see that uh, being worn as a badge of honor. Uh, right. And a lot of us, again, growing up, we because we didn't know what sleep was all about, we just thought of it as being eight hours of time wasted in bed when we could be doing something productive. Uh, and as a consequence of that, you know, we, we would put in long hours and, and we to this day, we just keep cramming more and more and more into our day. Uh, at the expense of getting the sleep that we require and that we need. And that's that's the part of the equation that is missing. We need to get that information out about how important sleep actually is and that um, being tired is not that badge of honor that you should be wearing. It's, it's, it's about working smarter, not harder. And that's the message we need to get out there. Absolutely. Right. So let's talk about some myths when it comes to sleep. Um, I'll tell you one myth that I hear a lot, and you tell me if this is one of the myths you hear, is, oh, I don't need seven hours of sleep, right? I'm fine with four or five, and I've been doing it for 20 years, and I'm just fine. That is probably the number one myth that we do. Okay. Uh, Yeah. Part of it comes from things like they say, well, you know, I, I don't even need an alarm clock. I wake up without the alarm. Um, well, that's just due to routine more than anything else. That doesn't mean your body is getting the sleep that it requires. Mm-hmm. The science is abundantly clear. 
every adult needs somewhere between seven and nine hours of sleep every day. And to think you can get by with less than that over time, there's going to be consequences. There's what, when people say that they, that they can get by with four or five hours of sleep, what they've actually done is they've adapted to a new state of normal. They've adapted to being impaired. That's the reality. Um, yeah, they're, they're showing up, they're doing their job, uh, they're taking the kids where they got to go, but the reality is they are impaired. And we know scientifically, it's been proven over and over again, that if you're awake anywhere from 17 to 18 hours, you are now the blood alcohol equivalency of 0.05%. If you've been awake up to 20 or 21 hours, you're at 0.08%. So we know that if you have to do something near the end of those hours, uh, drive a car, for example, you're going to be in a very, very high risk scenario. So it's something that we can't keep um, denying ourselves that we're okay. It's going to show up and manifest in physical symptoms, in mental health symptoms, in cognitive functioning and overall performance. Yeah, right. And, and you know, in my study of sleep, there's also a, a sleep debt right? There's a, there's a point where you can't get out of it. You can, you can maybe for a couple of days only get a, you know, less sleep, but over time, there's a point where you can't catch up, right? Yeah. And that's another myth where people think that, um, you know, they're, they're going to get their second wind or uh, when they're putting in these long hours, they think, oh, I'll just, I'll just grab another coffee. The reality is you need seven to nine hours of sleep. If you're not getting that, it doesn't matter what you do. Fatigue is not the same as, as sleepiness or tiredness or drowsiness. Those are symptoms that you feel. Fatigue is a biological product that builds in your brain. And the only way you can get rid of fatigue and get it out of your body is through sleep. You cannot Tim Horton it away. You cannot <laughs> Starbuck it away. You cannot Red Bull it away. Nothing gets rid of that fatigue buildup in your brain except sleep. And if you don't, then it's going to manifest down the road. It, it goes into things like um, increased risk for stroke and cardiovascular disease, uh, increased risk for diabetes. Um, there's correlations to higher risk for PTSD to set in, uh, for uh, depression. And there's even links to cancers. And probably most importantly these days is um, the, the link between lack of sleep and dementias, and in particular, Alzheimer's disease. Yeah, that's right. So there isn't anything that is not being affected when we don't get the sleep that we require. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What are some other myths that you hear? Well, another one is, is the fact that they, they think of sleep a, a, as a luxury, right? Um, and that it's not nearly as important as as long as they eat well and, they, and they're exercising, they're going to be okay. But the hard truth is that there is absolutely nothing more important to your overall health and longevity than sleep. Mm. Not what you eat, not what you drink. Uh, in fact, the latest research is, is indicating that if you're somebody who gets up early in the morning, cutting your sleep short to fit in exercise, you may want to rethink your priorities. Mm. That's not to say don't exercise. Right, <laughs> right. That you've got to prioritize your sleep just as much as you do your exercise, if not more so. It is not a luxury. It is a necessity. Yes. And that's, that's the message that needs to get out there, that we've got to start protecting our sleep more. Yes. There's a, a, another myth that, that is quite common too. Um, and it's this, this notion that, um, oh, I, I know when I've crossed a line. I know when I'm going to fall asleep, right? I can manage it uh, or I'm in control of my sleep. But um, the truth is that, that we are incapable of accurately determining 
uh, or assessing our own level of fatigue. We will always overestimate that we're more alert than we are, and we will always underestimate um, how vulnerable we are. Hmm. And that's because we are in a state of impairment. It's like asking a drunk, how impaired are you? Right. <laughs> very accurately judge that. So we have this notion that we think, um, you know, we're, we're going to be fine. And this is a really critical thing because if, for example, um, you have to do a very boring, mundane task, such as the commute home at the end of a shift. When you have sleep that built up in you, and you don't have anything to engage the brain to keep it active, it's going to look for opportunities to recoup the sleep that you haven't given it. Mm. So it's going to set in about 20 to 30 minutes into a boring task like driving. When you drive home at the end of a shift, you take the same route every day, you're probably passing the same cars every day, and your brain says, you know what? Nothing ever really goes wrong here. You don't need me, and you haven't been looking after me. So I'm just going to shut down a notch or two to try to recuperate a little bit. And then you wake up in your driveway and you go, huh, how did I get here? And hmm. you don't even remember the drive home. So what in essence you're going through is what we call a microsleep. Now, a microsleep can be extremely devastating because a microsleep, if you have a microsleep and it, and it lasts five seconds, um, you've basically gone the distance of two football fields without any sensory perception. You don't see anything, you don't hear anything, and your eyes can be open, but you are effectively asleep behind the wheel, driving that car at a high rate of speed and not having any indication of what's going on around you. So the risk factor attached to that is absolutely critical. Um, you're not safe. And we, we, what are the things we do? We roll down the window, right? We turn up the <laughs> <laughs> we have a we talk to somebody yeah, I, I, some of the things i've heard people some people will say they slap their face i've had um one one commercial truck driver tells me that when he's tired behind the wheel and keep in mind he's not alone in this yeah um, he uses tweezers and he starts ripping out nose hair oh my so, gosh so when Terrible. you start to, to look for these kinds of things to keep yourself alert behind the wheel mm. you already acknowledge that you're struggling and your brain will just shut off on you. You're not in control of it. You cannot will that sleepiness away. That microsleep will set in and you're not in control. Yeah. We have to remember we're not robots. And, you know, that I'm always reminded of that. Every, I, sometimes I think it's so strange how we all have to go to sleep every <laughs> night, you know? Yeah. Part of the problem is that this, this notion of sleep, we don't understand what actually is going on when we sleep. And there are four different stages that we have to cycle through uh, during the nighttime. And during those different stages, at, at one point, we're doing uh, motor, motor skill consolidation. Uh, the next stage, we're doing long-term memory consolidation and physical repair. The REM sleep stage, we're doing short-term memory consolidation, uh, psychological repair, emotional repair. So we need to go through all of these stages and one cycle is only going to last about 90 minutes to maybe two hours. So we need to repeat these cycles throughout the evening. And it's only when people begin to understand that there are different phases and you have to go through these phases and you have to have a big chunk of sleep to do that. You can't like do two hours here and two hours there and two hours there. Mm -hmm. They need to be consecutive hours of sleep in order for the, for the cycles to go correctly. 
then that's when I see the light bulbs turn on other people, that they begin to realize, ah, that's why sleep is important. Mm. I now, what does the research say about people who work nights and they have to sleep during the day? You know, that's not ideal. That's not how we're supposed to sleep. But, um, you know, let's say somebody has that kind of uh, yeah. lifestyle, but they do sleep eight hours during the day. Are there any negative effects to that? Well, first off, I've yet to meet a shift worker that sleeps eight hours during the day. Really? <laughs> it just doesn't happen because um, we will typically average one to two hours less sleep compared to if we were sleeping at nighttime. And that's because of the light exposure that we have and the fact that we're going against our biological nature. We are what's called a day-oriented species. We are meant to perform at our best and be at our optimal health-wise during the bright daylight hours, and we get our best quantity and quality of sleep during the deepest, darkest nighttime hours. That is because we are a day-oriented or diurnal species. Just because you go into night shift, we cannot turn you into a nocturnal species. Science hasn't figured out how to change your species yet on you. I can't turn you into a cat, rat, or bat. So again, what has happened is those people who work night shift and say that they've adapted, they haven't biologically adapted at all. In fact, less than 3%, according to science, shows any kind of biological adaptation at all. Again, what they've adapted to is a sense of impairment. That's what they've adapted to. Now, women in particular, um, unfortunately, will choose shift work as part of their, their working lifestyle, simply because it often affords them the opportunity then during daytime hours to do more childcare activities mm. or elder care activities. Right. So just by our nature, a lot of times we put ourselves at greater risk for fatigue development and then trying to sleep during the daytime is, is very difficult to begin mm -hmm. with. Now, as far as the negative effect, effects of uh, lack of sleep quality or quantity, is it different um, between men and women or are the negative effects about the same? Um, for the most part, most of the effects are the same. However, there are some distinct uh, differences, in particular cancers. We know that uh, if you're getting less than six hours of sleep, there is definitely evidence that um, um, you're more uh, prone to the onset or aggravation and acceleration of breast cancer versus prostate cancer, et cetera, et cetera. So um, in that regard, there are some, some biological differences, but generally speaking, we're all a diurnal species. So we're all going to suffer the consequences if we don't get the sleep that we require in the time frame that we require it. Mm -hmm. All right. So let's talk about some strategies now that people can start doing to improve the quality and quantity of their sleep. So give us some strategies that, that yeah. you recommend. Um, well, the very first one is to prioritize sleep, is to give it its due, right? And, and that's just the fact that we didn't know any better. Um, so I always tell people to to aim for, well, I like to say aim for eight to nine hours of sleep, hoping they'll yeah. get at least seven. Uh, so aim for a minimum of seven, but realize that you may need more than that to fully recharge your body. Now, you're not just going to go to bed an hour earlier and add an hour on. Your body is going to take some time to adapt to that. So you add 15 minutes at a time, right? Add on 15 minutes tonight, do that for a week or two, then add on another 15 minutes and see if you can build up your uh, sleep profile that way. The next thing, um, which um, people are always kind of surprised at, is you need sunlight. Every day we need bright sunlight or the equivalent of sunlight, which we can get through devices like sun lamps and, and things like that. 
the reason is that what sunlight does is it converts certain foods in our body into serotonin. Now, serotonin is our feel-good hormone, right? It's one that gives us sensations of pleasure and joy and make us nice, happy people to be around. So <laughs> it actually enhances our personal relationships in particular. We're better at communicating, we're more tolerant, we're less aggressive and less mood swings. So that's all really great, just serotonin in and of itself. But during the evening hours, serotonin is then converted into melatonin. And melatonin is our natural sleep hormone. It's what helps us fall asleep and stay asleep. So we need melatonin in our system. And when we have light at the wrong time, it suppresses that melatonin, which is the next strategy. No light at nighttime, especially in your bedroom. You want it as pitch black as you can make it. There is no such thing as good light in a bedroom. No light. That means no alarm clocks with light, no cell phones or smartphones or chargers, or yes, even TV, get the TV out of the room, night lights in kids' rooms. None of that is good for us. We want complete darkness. Mm. On top of all of that, we have exposure now to uh, blue light coming through all of our technology devices, right? Our smartphones, our tablets, our, our iPads, all of those things. And it's a particular stream of blue that is the most damaging to us and suppresses that production of our natural sleep hormone, melatonin. So the first thing I have people do when I talk about this is I make them pick up their cell phones or their smartphones and go into their settings, find the display settings, and they're going to activate. If it's an iPhone, it's going to be called um, uh, night shift. If it's an Android phone, it's going to be called blue light filter. And you go in, you activate it, so it automatically is set that from sunrise to sunset, it'll say right on there, sunrise to sunset, the blue, flight, blue light filter is on. And what that will do is it will suppress blue light in those evening hours. It will slowly fade it out. And your screen will change color a little bit. It'll turn kind of a pinkish or orangish hue. But what is effectively doing is blocking that damaging spectrum of blue that is causing the disruption to, to your sleep. And that in and of itself can significantly improve your sleep day after day. I, I do that. And I have mine from 8 p.m. to 8 a.m. But what do you suggest? Is there a certain time that you suggest or, or a certain amount of hours? Yeah. Um, I mean, it really comes down to the seasons, right? And that's why I, I always encourage people, if, if you're not working on a shift schedule of any sort, if you're basically a daytime person, then to set it to the automatic setting of sunrise, sunset to sunrise. And mm. what that means is as soon as the sun goes down, it, it starts to eliminate that blue light exposure, which is exactly what we want. So it's not based on 12 hours. It's based on where we live in the world and how much sun we get during that time of year. Yeah, I didn't know I had that setting. That's great. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so prioritize sleep. Yeah. You need sunlight. What else? couple more. Uh, one very simple routine, routine, routine. Our body thrives on routine. So when you wake up, when you eat, when you exercise, when you socialize, when you go to bed, all of those, the more consistent you are with your routine, the stronger all of the rhythms in our body are and the healthier our state will be. So a really good way to think about this is if you've ever had a two-year-old child at home and you take them out of their sleep routine, what happens to you? <laughs> they turn into little holy terrors and you want to send them back to wherever they came from. Right. So we need to understand that routine is very important for our body from a health perspective and certainly from a sleep perspective. Secondly, or secondly, the last thing I really want to touch on, because this is probably the number one question I get uh, about how to improve their sleep is how do I turn off my brain? Mm. And, and this is such a common thing. If you're having difficulty 
falling asleep or you're waking up and your mind is racing and you just can't shut down those 10,000 thoughts that keep racing through there, it's very likely a sign that you're taking on too much and that you're not dealing with something, something mm -hmm. important probably. And of course, that translates into stress chemicals being released in your body. And stress chemicals are alertness chemicals. They prevent you from going to sleep. So it, it's basically because all day long, you've been distracting yourself from those issues you need to deal with, right? You've got so much going on in your world and you just keep pushing those things you don't want to deal with away. And then when you go to bed and you lay your head down on the pillow and all those distractions are gone, your brain says, hey, wait a minute, you've been ignoring me. We've got this to deal with. <laughs> and that's when those, those thoughts start to show up and race because there's nothing else to distract you at that point. So generally speaking, there's a, there's a couple of things that you can do that are, that are proven to be very good. First is deep breathing. One of the best ways to get stress out of your body is to get oxygen into your body. So the, the general um, uh, concept around deep breathing is when you're laying there, you want to take a deep breath in for about a count of three, and then you breathe out for a count of five. And you just keep doing that. And you are going to feel your entire body relax. You'll feel your muscles relax. You'll feel everything begin to relax. So that's a very effective way. And and it's kind of um, the key behind of a lot of meditative processes too. The other thing that you can do, which has been proven to be extremely effective, um, is journaling. So what that means is uh, right before you go to bed, you um, deal with the fact that your brain has all of these thoughts racing in it. And you basically put pen to paper and you write it down. You don't have to find the solutions. You're not trying to fix all your problems. You're just addressing the fact that this is on my mind. Mm. By actually getting it out of your brain and onto paper, your brain will release that to the point to say, okay, you've dealt with this to, to some degree, and we're going to let you go to sleep now. So it's actually proven extremely effective at helping people fall asleep. And if you wake up in the middle of the night and your mind is racing, reach over, grab that pen and paper. You don't even have to turn the light on because you don't even need to be able to read it the next day. But whatever is on your on your brain and uh, that may be sufficient to let you fall back so. and and what about the um getting up to go to the bathroom and then you uh have a hard time going back to sleep right yeah um well there's various reasons why people will, will wake up to go to the bathroom um if it's if it's once twice a night um it may not be as big an issue if you're going several times a night um, then it could be a sign of a medical condition. Uh, and in particular with men, it could be a sign of prostate problems. So you definitely want to get that checked out. But generally speaking, if you're waking up because you have to go pee, you need to start looking at what are you doing in the evening hours before you go to bed? Are you drinking or consuming any liquids? And if you are, guess what? Um, chances are that you may have to get up, especially if it's something like alcohol or caffeine, which are both diuretics. As we get older, our bladder also has less ability to hold in the liquid or to hold as, as big an amount as we used to. So that's another reason that we will um, have to get up and go pee at night. So in those cases, if, it's, if you can attribute it back to you know, drinking fluids in the evening hours, you may wanna cut back on that drinking. That means you're gonna to have to increase your uptake for hydration purposes during daytime hours. So you have to kind of make a swap there. Right. Yeah. I recommend 25% of whatever, uh, however much you're supposed to drink every day to be done in the morning because we wake up dehydrated anyway. So yeah. it's a yeah, great time. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Before we go, since we're talking about liquids in the evening mm -hmm. and sleep, mm -hmm. alcohol. Yeah. 
what effects do alcohol have? So you have a stressful day. It starts to become a habit that you get home. You have a couple glasses of wine to Mm -hmm. wind down, but then you have trouble sleeping. So what are, what are the effects of alcohol on our sleep? Well, and you know, it's not just alcohol, it's any of the sleep medications that you take. What they do is while they may help you fall asleep because you have sleep that built in you um, and they're depressants, what they do is they destroy your sleep architecture. In other words, they don't take you through the four phases of sleep like your natural melatonin would, and they don't cycle through the way they should. So in essence, while you may technically fall asleep, you're not getting the deep recuperative sleep that you require, or most importantly, the REM sleep. If you have too much alcohol, it actually eliminates all of your REM sleep. That's why the next day, if you've been out at a party and you had a little too much, the next day you can't remember anything because your REM sleep, that's the only time your short-term memory is consolidated. Mm -hmm. So it explains why we don't remember much the next day. But from a repair perspective, no, it's not helping the body at all in terms of recuperative sleep. Right, right. Great. Mike, oh my gosh, I love this subject of sleep and love what you do, fatigue management. Uh, It's wonderful. Can you uh, share some of the services that you provide through your uh, company? Sure. Um, for the most part, um, I, I get, uh, well, I do a lot of speaking engagements just because the awareness portion is now there. People want to become uh, more educated about it. So I am doing a lot of speaking engagements at various uh, conferences or industry events. Um, but uh, I do a lot of work specifically with organizations and helping them to um, implement fatigue proofing strategies at the workplace. Because there are a lot of things at work that contribute to the fatigue equation, things like having poorly designed work schedules or not monitoring overtime or um, having very physically demanding jobs that they could better design. So there's a number of things there that we look at and that we, we try to help out with. Um, I do a lot of um, development of training materials for employees um, and, and for family members. So that's, that's really critical. It's not enough to educate employees, but the family members at home also need to understand, especially if they're trying to support a shift worker, because the shift worker doesn't understand why they're cranky and miserable and feel terrible all the time. So how can we expect the family members to understand those challenges? And then I work a lot with um, uh, different government agencies and helping to establish regulations around working hours and hours of service regulations and that kind of thing. That's great. And uh, you can find more information at solarisfm.com. Um, and you also gave your uh, email. Can people email you about something? Or Absolutely. Okay. Yes, I'm, I'm happy to answer any questions. They can reach me at mharnett at uh, solarisfm.com. Great. And I will have that in the show notes as well. So people can click over to your website and learn more and I'll have your email there as well. So Mike, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast today and sharing about the importance of sleep. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. If you find the Me Time Midlife podcast valuable, there are many ways you can support it. The best way is to simply tell your midlife friends about it. It also helps the show's visibility if you rate and review it on iTunes, Stitcher, or simply directly in your Apple Podcasts app if you listen to the show that way. And if you want more me time in your life and continue the conversations we have on the show with other women on a similar journey, consider joining our Me Time Midlife community on Facebook. 
simply search for Me Time Midlife Community in your Facebook search bar or go to metimemidlifepodcast.com to learn more. Thank you again for listening. And until next time, remember, you've been taking care of everyone else. It's your turn to take care of you.